Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark songs. That's true. We do. Hey, y'all. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Uh, I'm Sarah D. Bunting. I'm your co-host on Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. And I am here, as always, with the, uh, I was going to say inestimable, but actually, I know exactly how to esteem my co-host, Mark Blankenship, and that is very highly. Hello, Mark. Hi. Your esteem shakes me like a Polaroid picture. (laughs) As it should. Do you know I actually still own a Joy Cam? I could probably sell that for a couple hundred bucks, right? Ooh, you could you could finance some sort of trip to Middle New the Jersey, corner, Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, Bergen County, sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, all right, enough hints. Mark has selected our song for today, and he is now going to tell you what it is and why. Yes, I have selected for today Outcasts Multi Week Number One. Hey ya. Which I chose because it is a song that brings me incredible joy. And yet, like some other songs we've talked about recently, if you really listen to it, it's about some kind of hard stuff. So I, I am a, that appeals to me. And uh, I also just think that the groove of this song is one of the most undeniably catchy grooves of the aughts. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and see if you agree by listening to this sample? You think you've got it, oh, you think you've got it, but got it, just don't get it, cause there's nothing at all. We get together, oh, we get together, but separate songs. I just want you in my caddy. Uh, in the very next line is, don't want to meet your mama, just want to make you comma. <laughs> so, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a couple of things I just want to start with from a chart fact perspective, because this song uh, offers a lot of really interesting chart facts. Well, interesting to me. Uh, it was released in 2003 and in short order reached number one. And one of the things that's so interesting, it was actually the second single released from Outkast's Speaker Box Love Below album, but it hit number one first and then was replaced at number one by the first single from that album, which was uh, The Way You Move. So it's just a rare case of songs reaching the top out of order, as it were. And the it's one of two number one singles to name check Lucy Liu, because uh, at, later on in the song... Andre Andre 3000, who is singing this, calls out to say, now all Beyonce's and Lucy Lou's. And then in Destiny's Child's uh, Independent Women Part 1, which is from the soundtrack to Charlie's Angels, they start the song by saying, Lucy Lou and my girl Drew. So there's that. And this song, because of the line, Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture, is in fact credited with pulling Polaroid out of a slump 
in the early 2000s uh, that had been caused by the rise of digital cameras. So it's not just a song, it's a business proposition, which I guess is true of all pop songs, but there you go. Sarah, I am curious to know what, if any, relationship you have with this song and how it makes you feel. Uh, It makes me feel fine. It's enjoyable. Uh, This is the hardest that I have struggled, I think, in the life of this podcast to come up with anything to say. Because I I have nothing to say. It's fine. Here's the thing about this, though. Like, the lyrics, if you listen to the lyrics closely, as you said, there is a lot there uh, to unpack. Um, It is, like, it's sort of a clever contrast of this peppy, like, you know, pub sing-along. Like, this is what it was designed to be. Was blasted in Irish bars in Bay Ridge, which it still is to this day. Um... Well, maybe not to this day, but I have heard it in the last week, for sure, at the Salty really? Dog. Really? Just, just out and about in the world? Yeah, because I huh. think it's one of those, like, I really hesitate to refer to tub thumping because I hate that <laughs> shit. But this is definitely one of those songs that, beca- because of its ubiquity at the time and because of where I tend to hear it, now like if I were a music coordinator on a show and the idea was to show our like whatever detective protagonists um like trying to find someone at a crowded bar on Saturday night this song would be playing and it would be like annoying like it's a it's a good song but there's just something about where like first it was everywhere and where it is now, it it has become this like it's featureless cipher to me. Like, of course, I immediately know, you know, when you selected the song, it's like, oh, it's not like I don't know what that is or who did right. it. It's not like I can't sing the whole thing. I just, it, it has become this wallpaper and like, I enjoy wallpaper. It's not ugly wallpaper. <laughs> I just don't have anything to say about it. Well, maybe <clears throat> why don't I, let me say a few things and then maybe that will spark something for you. I hope so. I'm going to suspect that it will. I find that what's interesting to me about this song is that it's obviously bouncy, happy, built very much out of a 60s rock style groove. But what the song is really about is how Andre 3000 just wants to fuck and doesn't want to get married. And he's grateful to his he's grateful to his parents for sticking together because he has no idea how to do that. And he he says uh, separates always better when there's feelings involved. I mean, this really is uh, so. And then why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? Meaning we're why are we trying to stay together as a couple when it's like we're life is going to be better if we just break up and aren't together and just maybe fuck or fuck other people. I just, I find it uh, a really interesting thing to be talking about in a song that you just don't hear much of in pop music, which is the point of view that I need to not be faithful to you, dear. Like monogamy is not going to work for me. Now that's actually not how I feel, but I think that it is uh, interesting 
to have a, such a bouncy, cheery hit that's like, yeah, I'm not interested in in being with you. And it's not the same as saying, I don't want to be tied down. There are many of song. There are plenty of songs like that. But this is coming from the perspective of we're in a relationship. My parents certainly knew how to make it work. I sure don't. Let's just go find all the Beyonces and Lucy Lou's and just get happy and crazy. And I don't want to meet your daddy. I just want to fuck you. I don't want to meet your mama. I just want to fuck you. And that, to me, is a fascinating window into the psyche of 2003, in a way, and maybe of all time. And I wonder what you think about... uh, Well, let me say this. As someone who has, in the past felt that the subjects of songs do not match the sounds of songs and have then dinged them for that. I wonder what you feel about this topic being paired with this energy. Um, I like it. I mean, here's the thing. Like, that, you know, contrasting, like, uh, lyrics and sort of the melody line, it can work until it doesn't, right? So I think... I think Cam, it, Diane, we st- I still I still ride for you, although I know I do it alone. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I am sorry. I will be waving from the porch as you ride by <laughs> on your Diane horse. Um, the, that part works for me, and I think that this is actually like, I, I think they actually go together more than you might think, because I think the basic idea is like, well, you know, not everybody is cut out for you know, for a relationship like our parents had. And more to the point, you and I are not cut out for that. So, but, you know, let's be, let's be happy about the possibilities opened up Mm. by our breaking up instead of like, Mm. uh, you know, it's just not working anymore. Like, okay. (laughs) He's just like, okay, but you know, bright side, we get to fuck other people. Sweet. So that works for yeah, me. Yeah, you know that's a that's a good point. Like, it, it coming from the point of view of this narrator in this song, it actually is good that it's a happy song because he's fine with it. He's he's and he's also to his credit being really upfront. He's not he he is actually being quite clear about what he can offer at yeah. this point. Let's take a brief pause from our discussion of Hey Ya to turn our attention to this week's pop chart astrology reading. Yes, that is the time that I can predict a listener's destiny of success based on the song that was number one the day that they were born. This week's reading goes out to Kelly, and Kelly was born on October 10th, 1976. And Kelly in her email suggested that she would be very eager to see how we could spin something positive out of her number one song because she feels that it is, in fact, a disaster piece. Uh, Well, she didn't use those exact words, but that's essentially what she meant. Well, Kelly, I am happy to tell you that even if we think the song that was number one the day you were born was crappy on its merits, what we're looking at is the fact that it was so successful, because it was, in fact, your lodestar. So what can we learn from it? Well, let's find out. The song that was number one the day you were born, October 10th, 1976, well, that was none other than Disco Duck by Rick Dees and his cast of idiots. And without any further ado, let's take a listen to a little bit of that novelty magic. Change. I was on the dance floor acting strange Flapping my arms up again the clock Look at me, I'm the disco duck 
that song is crazy. Obviously, that is a novelty song. It is a song about a man who dances like a duck to a disco beat and then somehow gets everyone else around him to dance with him. And while he's doing it, apparently is possessed by the voice of Donald Duck or someone pretending to do the voice of Donald Duck. It wasn't the actual Walt Disney actor, but whatever. Uh, one of the things that I think is very interesting about this song is that when it was recorded, uh, Rick Dees was a DJ in Memphis. He, of course, later went on to be a very famous nationally syndicated America's Top 40 DJ. But at the time, he was in Memphis, and his radio station in Memphis refused to play the song because they felt it was a conflict of interest for him to earn money on a recording career while he was working for them. And... None of the other stations in Memphis would play the song either because his own home station wouldn't do it. So this song reached number one without any support from his hometown, which is really wild to consider. And then later, though the song was actually heard in the movie Saturday Night Fever, it was not uh, included on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And you may remember that when Sarah and I ranked every song on that soundtrack, it was, in fact, not listed there. And that's because at the time... Rick Dees' management company felt that it would eat into sales of the song, it's of the single itself, if they allowed it to be included on that soundtrack. And of course, that proved to be a very bad idea because millions of copies of that soundtrack have been sold and Rick Dees lost tons of money in the process. So that seems possibly like some depressing information, but the fact is that song still went number one and it actually helped propel Rick Dees to his nationally recognized DJ career. So what does this mean for you, Kelly? Well, here's what I would say. First of all, you've got something inside of you that feels like a scary impulse, a wild impulse, a silly impulse, a disco duck of your own, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and let it out. How this relates to your life, personal, professional, I don't know, but maybe you do. And there's going to be something in you that you're going to feel embarrassed by, maybe. Like, oh, that's silly. It's so weird. It's such a novelty hit. Who, Who's going to want to listen to that? Well, don't Allow that inner disco duck to be silenced. Let it quack. And yes, when you push yourself, when you take a big leap, there very well may be people in your home station, the people that are around you who tell you no, that they can't support the choice that you've made. Maybe it's too weird. It's too out there. It's too opposed to the life you're used to living. Don't let that stop you either. It's going to be difficult, I'm sure. But don't let it stop you either because there are people outside of your home station who really want to hear what you have to say. And then when you do find that success, if something happens later that tries to limit the reach that you're quote-unquote allowed to have, that tries to say, no, don't go on this soundtrack, we know what's best, don't listen to that either. The, th the funny thing about success is that there are people who say that they have our best interests at heart that tell us actually that they want to clip our wings for our own good, and that isn't what needs to happen here. Do not let someone clip your wings for your own good. You have the right to listen to the part of you that wants to dance like a duck and quack because that is something wild and fun that people are going to want to experience. So, Kelly, that's my advice because I feel like that is what your number one song has to say. Listeners, if you would like a reading of your own, then you just go ahead and shoot us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. That's talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. And we will let you know how you can have a Pop-Tart Astrology reading for your very own self. And now, back to the wild, wonderful, non-monogamous world of Outcast. The other, the other thing that is interesting to me, and I did make a note on this, is we talk a lot about um, not even subtexts, but like how um, 
given a given song or artist who is an artist of color is managing the societal expectations, which are often uh, incorrect and demonizing of particularly black male sexuality. So this song is interesting to me in that regard because it, it's, and I, I don't mean this in a, um, I don't mean this in a, like, it's not a pejorative, but it put me in mind of that CeeLo song that everybody was singing like a few years after that. Fuck you. Fuck you. That it, <laughs> That's the name of the song. I'm not mad at her, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, um, fuck you. How dare you bring up CeeLo and his white cat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there is something about that <sighs> song also that it was like, that wasn't talking as much about sexuality, I don't think, or, or fucking, but it was also like, this is, this is an expression from an African-American artist of something that might have been considered dangerous and that like Elvis hip swiveling era is, I don't know if this is making any sense, but like part of James Brown's appeal is not just his talent. It's that he's obviously dangerous and that if he decides that he wants to put his sexy dancing tractor beam on you and have sex with you, you're you're probably going to have sex with him. I don't mean right. it in a rapey way, although that was possible. But I think there's a very complicated relationship that uh, America, via pop music and rock and roll and hip-hop, has with sexuality of people of color. And this is a very interesting example of that, I would say, because it has been packaged, like, first of all, this is not a popular, like, thing. Like, w women are not maybe trying to hear this so much. But it's like, we're, we're right. boyfriend and girlfriend, but I want to fuck other people. Like, you know. Um, and it's expressed by a, a man of color in this extremely peppy, cheery, sing-along uh, package. So that's... That's really interesting to me because, you know, on top of the contrast between what he's saying and how how it's presented musically, you also have that thread going through it of African-American sexuality in pop music and how, you know, how the artist might feel he has to manage it or not depending on mm. the era in which the song came out. Um, I am a white lady and very full of shit, but it is something that, that struck me. And also like sort of semi-related is that there's like quote safe hip hop sometimes that gets adopted by, gets adopted by top 40. And mm. like, even though this is really not like a, you know, bouncy. It's not actually all that bouncy when you listen to it closely. Like there's, there's dark material, like you said, but you know, there's, there's another contrast, which is like, this got a ton of 
radio play. It was everywhere. It went into bar jukeboxes immediately and has not left, I can tell you. So there's an interesting there's an interesting narrative there about you know, which quote which hip hop is okay and which is like, you know, too dark for radio or too heavy or too too. You mm-hmm. know, and then that mm-hmm. all winds back into that um, opener from Baby Got Back where the white girl's like, why does she have to be so black? It's so big and black. Like, right. You know, I th- I think there are still a lot of things that are too black for America, according to radio programmers. And that's a whole other like master's degree of consolidated corporate mandated playlists that I am not qualified to speak to but I there is an interesting narrative here vis-a-vis race and sexuality and creativity as it is packaged for uh lily white listeners in Peoria in theory hmm you know who's qualified to talk about this not Sarah Mark you talked for a while (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh so and see you said you didn't have anything to say turns out you really do i didn't well i mean i don't have anything like <laughs> underpinned by actual facts to say <laughs> but look it's not like it, the name of the podcast is not mark and sarah write graduate theses about songs because that it acronym could be is really sometimes <laughs> it could be <laughs> but I think that you bring up a lot of really interesting points. Uh, One, this is just a bit of a sidebar, but there is, I think, something about the the type of blackness that is allowed into the pop music mainstream. Because when Beyonce released the Lemonade album, none of those songs made it into massive rotation on pop radio, even though that album was this massive success and an enormous cultural touchstone. It was also the album where SNL made the sketch about people realizing that Beyonce was black. And it's a really, (laughs) yeah. And it's a really pointed thing, right? Like the, if, if there's something about uh, the, the amount of distance that we want to put between a person of color and their popular reckoning with what that means. Um, And, you know, we can, obviously look at songs like strange fruit and mississippi goddamn and honestly formation and say like oh those are acknowledged as great songs that people really like but there's a difference between the songs that later on people really embrace or embrace outside of mainstream channels and the the songs that are played on the radio or the songs that are going to be played in the the drugstore or whatever and i think that talking about that it really drives home the point that both Andre 3000, well, and Outkast, Big Boy, his partner in the group, and CeeLo are great examples of really thoughtful artists of color who are always tackling interesting issues and saying interesting things, but in a way that has is embraced by the mainstream in a way. And Kanye West actually is another good example of that. Like, these are people who are confronting things in their music and they're doing it in a way that is somehow sneaking it past people. Like, yeah. They're... Like, and I wouldn't even say that they're like, they're sanitizing anything or that they're compromising anything, but it is, 
you know, it's interesting. Like if you watch the video for this, it's Andre 3000 being all the, being all the parts. Right. In of the like Ed Sullivan show performance. Yeah. Of the Beatles, which right. like bless the Beatles hearts. I mean, maybe you don't think so, but I, yay, the Beatles, except who hey, was really whiter than those know. dudes. Last week I watched and enjoyed a Beatles adjacent documentary. So you never know. <laughs> Beatles adjacent documentary. So it was called Yesterday, but it just had nothing to do with the Beatles. <laughs> no, it was about the it was about their secretary, good old Peg or something. I can't remember now what it was called. But my parents recommended it. I watched it. I liked it. Okay. So but yes, you're right. Like Andre three thousand, I think, is a fascinating and interesting artist because he totally appropriates the entirety of the Beatles look and sound in a song like this and does it in a way that doesn't he just by doing it, he actually is making a statement about the cultural agency of people of color by writing a song uh, about his sexuality in a way that isn't going to make the mainstream happy. He is also just casually rebuffing all of the things that you're quote unquote allowed to say as any person, let alone a, a black man yeah, and, and like, he sneaks think... it in around this like, I mean, hey, yeah, like who doesn't know, who doesn't know that like chord progression? Everyone. Yeah. And I, I do not pretend to be enough of a student of outcast music to be able to speak about the content of the rest of their material. But I do know that uh, he comes across always as like coming out of the Jimi Hendrix psychedelic rock vibe, at least to me. Yeah. So... He's. I just think it's interesting. The, the as as I listened to you uh, make your interesting arguments, I was thinking about how one of the reasons that he is such a fascinating artist is that he gets at issues of race in America through a language that white America hasn't been trained instinctively to fear, which is the language of like aggressive hip hop. He uses melodic hip hop and rock to talk about similar things. So that's like, and CeeLo does the same thing. He, um, a lot of his solo material, at least the Goody Mob obviously was a sort of out there experimental rap group, but like, fuck you. And some of his songs that he wrote for other people, like, uh, he wrote don't you by the, for the pussycat dolls. Uh, they, and then like Norris Barkley, all of that trippy stuff he did with, uh, in that group, like he also is addressing a lot of issues about like, race but also like mental health and love and all this other stuff but he's doing it in a way that that white america hasn't trained itself to ignore so that's like sort of a cool subversive thing that they're doing but also points to the fact that white america like shuts itself off and i realize as i'm saying this that there are three hundred thousand examples of how that isn't true that everyone listens to drake everyone listens to Nicki minaj like i don't exactly have the PhD necessary to talk about this either. But yeah, it, I don't either. Like, and there's definitely an interesting, like, I don't know, like the, that appropriation point. Um, Like there, there are definitely PhD theses in, you know, white kids named Topher from Stanford listening to public enemy back in the day. <laughs> it was like, okay, yeah. Like, what, what are you saying? Are you actually saying anything? I, I well, don't know. Before we try to, <clears throat> I think let's before we try to make uh, large points that we're not qualified to make. I think <laughs> we can late, say, but yes, let's. Pull I think back we from can that. say with fairness that Outcast and CeeLo are both part of a 
group of really fascinating male artists of color who come at issues that are meaningful in a way that's surprising and interesting and do it in a way that if you're not paying attention, you don't even realize what you're hearing. And I invite any listener who has more things to say about this to please uh, let us know because I feel like this is the type of conversation I'd love to keep having. Uh, so you can email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com or tweet us at talksongs and uh, tell us what we're missing, what we didn't say or what we said that maybe pushed you to think about some other stuff as well. And if, in fact, you wrote any kind of thesis at any level of your education on these matters and uh, black sexuality in American music, uh, we are here <laughs> for it. Uh, please send us a PDF. I am into it. Watch me, watch me, I got it, watch me, I got it, hey, I got something that makes me want to shout, I got something that tells me what it's all about, I got soul, and I'm super bad. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. And I don't need no one else Sometimes I feel so nice Good God I jump back I want to kiss myself I've got soul And I'm super bad Hey I said I'm super bad Mark Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.